Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about a case of childhood sexual abuse that led on to rape and eventually murder. There's an article on the online Eyewitness News newspaper which talks about a young man. Now, his name was Anwar Jack, and I'll just call him Jack. It'll be a lot easier. According to the newspaper, Jack was being drugged and raped by Bishop Ian Enoch systematically over a number of years, and things got so bad that in the end, Jack decided to take things further by ending the bishop's life. Now, according to the article, it says, A man who chopped to death a pastor who had drugged, raped him, and infected him with HIV has been jailed for 31 years. Justice Brian Cottle handed down the sentence on Anwar Jack, 26, of Georgetown, at the High Court in Kingstown, which is in St. Vincent in what he said was a most unfortunate case. As of Tuesday, Jack, who is bipolar and suffers from antisocial personality disorder, has spent two years, three months, and 27 days on remand. Therefore, he has to serve a further 28 years, eight months, and three days in prison. The judge also ordered that during Jack's incarceration, he received counseling to assist him in his rehabilitation and that the state provide him with the medication he needs at no cost to himself. After handing down the sentence, Justice Cottle noted that the court has sentencing guidelines that it must follow, and when they are applied, judges arrive at positions that without those guidelines, we might not have arrived at. Now, if I make a presumption on the basis of what is being said and on the facts of the case, I'm going to insinuate that the judge is saying that if it wasn't for these guidelines, that this young guy, Jack, would have received a lighter sentence. And I say that on the basis of the fact that Jack was victimized, he was raped, he was drugged. However, when it comes to, let's say, self-defense, it has to be reasonable. And when you go out of your way with intent to take another person's life, you cannot call that self-defense. There are sometimes extenuating circumstances like when a woman is in an abusive relationship and one day she snaps and then goes on to kill her partner or husband. 
And so when we consider the facts in its entirety, those on the outside, those who are not scholars of the law, would say that Jack should not have been given such a heavy sentence. And many people wholly disagree with how he has been treated in such a way. The judge goes on to say, but it is not my place to make legislation, which further goes on to validate my earlier remarks that the judge would have given a lighter sentence. And if he goes on to say it is not his place to make legislation, instead it is that he has to apply the legislation, then anyone who is looking at this and listening to the facts would say, quite reasonably, it can be assumed that Jack would have received the lighter sentence, which I'm sure many of us would agree would be most reasonable in the circumstances. On November 9, Jack pleaded guilty to a charge that he murdered Enoch. Now, murder is to do with having the intention. Manslaughter is slightly different. And so because of the fact that the case was presented in such a way where the evidence supported that there was malice of forethought, that Jack had intended this, it wasn't that there was an altercation and he lashed out and reacted, which would be most likely manslaughter. There was sufficient intention that he intended to kill, and he went on to go and do that. It says here that Jack took the life of the bishop by chopping his body with a cutlass. The body of Ian Enoch, who was 50, he was a bishop and a pastor, and he was a prominent member of the spiritual Baptist faith in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Enoch was a travel agent supervisor at the time of his death. He originates from Trinidad and was found wrapped in a sheet on August 18, 2018. The nude body of the spiritual Baptist bishop and pastor of the Mount Carmel Spiritual Baptist Church at Chester Cottage had a condom on his genitals. The body was found after Jack told police he had chopped Enoch to death during a homosexual encounter and he led police to where the body was found in a hut in a recreated Carib village in a secluded area near the Argyll International Airport. On the night of his death, Enoch had told his wife of eight years and her son, his stepson, that he was going to a birthday party, which according to Jack's lawyer, Grant Connell, Enoch never attended. Before Jack chopped Enoch to death, they had had sex twice and Enoch was putting on a condom for a third round when Jackson reached for a cutlass he had hidden at the scene and chopped Enoch repeatedly about the head and face. He then watched as Enoch took his last breath before driving away in the deceased man's vehicle. Jack had acted on a decision he had made some time after Enoch violated him and pressured him into a homosexual lifestyle. Mitigating on Jack's behalf, Connell chronicled how Jack had come into contact with Enoch, who had helped him to land a job. Through the lawyer's account, as well as the facts presented by the judge, Eyewitness News is able to paint a picture of the circumstances surrounding Enoch's murder. Jack, a former churchgoer, is the eighth of nine children in a close-knit family in which he was instilled with good moral values, and his parents tried their best amidst socio-economic hardships. He graduated from the Georgetown Secondary School and worked as a vendor, laborer, handyman, shop attendant, and his last job as a security guard. Jack's lawyer pointed out that Enoch, on the other hand, was a happily married man who worked as a supervisor at Going Places Travel and was a spiritual Baptist bishop and pastor. He lived with his wife, Tekla Pompey Enoch, and his stepson and her nephew. 
Jack had met Enoch while the younger man was working in a bakery, a job he later lost, and Enoch offered to help him to secure new employment. As I'm just reading this, what I'm seeing here is that Jack meets Enoch when he's working. However, Jack subsequently loses his job. This creates a vulnerability because Jack is no longer in a financially stable position of earning an income, of earning a living. And that vulnerability is what Enoch took advantage of. The article goes on to say, Enoch invited Jack to his office to collect information for the job application. And Jack, in his innocence and desperation, went to the office. So right here you can see that Enoch is going one step further in the fact that he sees somebody who is down and out, so to speak, hard on his luck, who's in need of employment. Knowing that, he entices Jack to his office under the pretense and the guise of assisting him with getting employment. Now, why could they have not met in a more public place? Why could they have not met in a place that would be more conducive rather than an office where an allegation of a sexual assault or of sexual offenses can be made in a place that is more public. So there may not be plenty of coffee shops in St. Lutzen and the Grenadines, but there's KFC, there's establishments that can be met with beautiful weather that they often have. They could meet at the Botanical Gardens, they could meet at the beach. The point is they could meet in a public place and have this conversation. Why choose to take this young guy into a place where there is privacy, where it is enclosed and where this young guy is vulnerable? He does not have access in the sense of when he's in that office, he does not have access to keys. He doesn't have access to be able to remove himself from that situation if he gets locked inside. It says again, at the office, Enoch placed a call to a well-renowned security firm of which he was a customer and began the process of securing the job for Jack. Yes, I appreciate he is making a professional phone call, but even so, with mobile phones, all of this could be done outside in a public place. Jack accepted a drink Enoch had offered him. Now, that's innocent. Person gives you a drink, it's hot, you're thirsty, you accept it. After taking the drink in his very first visit to the office, he passes out, Connell tells the court, adding that when Jack came to, he felt something was wrong. His anus was burning, his boxes were rolled up, and his pants waist was higher than usual. Enoch, who had drugged and raped Jack, gave him 50 EC dollars to help him with the documents to secure employment. According to my instructions, the deceased told Jack it's the best sex he ever had. The lawyer said, adding that Enoch further told Jack he wanted to see him again and wanted to be in a relationship with him. I don't really have words because the fact of the matter, from what Jack is alleging, Enoch drugged and raped him and... This speaks volumes because, of course, from the fact that Jack was drugged, there's an absence of consent. And let's assume that at this time Jack was a heterosexual. And then he ends up being duped into going into this pastor bishop's office, being offered a drink he innocently takes, and then he's, he's sodomized and raped. That is not okay under any circumstances. Jack indicates from the beginning that he was not like that and tries his best to stay away from Enoch. He even goes so far as to change his telephone number. While he works as a security guard, Jack continues to vent to help his family, and that means he's selling watermelon in Kingstown. Enoch continued to pursue Jack for several years, until early 2018 when Jack met Enoch on the streets of Kingstown. Enoch accused him of ingratitude and again propositioned a relationship to him. 
Several days later, Jack's phone rang and it was Enoch on the other end saying that someone had given him Jack's number. Now the problem with this is because Enoch is a bishop pastor who has this fantastic job, he's most likely a well-respected member of the community and therefore when a pastor or bishop asks you innocently for the phone number of a young vendor, of a young security guard, you may have no qualms about giving over that information. Maybe you think, well, the pastor wants to pray for him, wants to invite him to church. Irrespective of how well-respected a person may appear to be, we as people have no authority, we have no right to be passing on the contact or other personal information of an individual without getting their consent. In fact, I know of a case of a woman who had separated from her partner and somebody had given the ex-partner her contact numbers. He'd gone to church and taken her contact number and when he took the contact number, he began to verbally abuse and threaten her. The fact of the matter is, no matter how innocent things may appear, no matter the fact you know that they're in a relationship because you're not aware that they've broken up, that gives you no right to do so. You should ask yourself, well, considering that they're boyfriend and girlfriend, why doesn't he have her number? He's asking the wrong person. Let him ask a family member. And even that, if they're in a relationship, she would give him the new number. And so the fact is we need to be more on the alert and less naive and less trusting and believing of people. Because in doing so, you have created a situation that places Jack at risk, that places Jack under the pursuit and under the ill intent of, of Enoch. It says here that Enoch again propositioned Jack for a relationship and Jack threatened to report the rape to the police. And he was told, you know who I am. You know who you are. I could afford a lawyer. What could you afford? When someone says, you know who I am, that sounds like it's coming from a very arrogant stance. Even celebrities may say that. Do you know who I am? And it's about having humility. Yes, he may have a good job, a wife. He may have a great profession in the church. But that doesn't mean to say that he needs to lord himself over Jack. It says here that, according to the lawyer, Enoch pursued until he was able to conquer. This is very, very messed up. And we know that when it comes to healthy relationships between a man and a woman, the man will pursue. But the word conquer comes across very strong. It comes across as though the person relented and not out of free choice and free will. In light of what Enoch had said about Jack's low social standing and the unlikelihood that anyone would believe that Enoch had raped him, Jack decided on revenge. This is the premeditation that is a requisite for the offense of murder. The judge said that the two men would meet at various places during the months preceding the killing. During these meetings, there would be sexual intimacy and Enoch encouraged Jack to adopt homosexuality as a lifestyle and tried to force him into having sex with other men. This right here sounds like human trafficking. It potentially sounds like trafficking. He's forcing him. Force, fraud and coercion are elements of trafficking and asking him to engage in sex with other men. Sounds like sex trafficking. If there is something being exchanged of benefit or financial, then it could indeed be sex trafficking. Jack, however, refused and also tried to refuse the money and the gifts Enoch offered him. This right here sounds like Enoch is, how would I put it, prostituting Jack. In other words, the dynamics of their relationship is as though Enoch is the customer and Jack is the prostitute. Because when he's offering monies and gifts, it's as though an exchange, we're having sex and I'm going to exchange sex for money and gifts. This is a form of grooming and it sounds very much like 
he is prostituting Jack. In other words, Jack is his prostitute. Enoch had formed the view that Jack would never leave him. I think I misread that. Jack formed the view that Enoch would never leave him alone. Jack, therefore, decides to take matters into his own hands. Connell praised the meticulous detailed investigation of the detective, adding that through that investigation, he was able to draw some nexus between Jack's claims and what actually happened between him and Enoch. The lawyer says the detective's investigation shows that Enoch and the young man, coincidentally in security guard uniform, would visit Enoch's house on various occasions, sometimes two or three times a week. In other words, what the lawyer is saying here is that the detective was able to substantiate that there was certainly facts to support the allegations that are being made by Jack, that there is certainly some elements leading towards Jack's account being truthful and verifiable. He also says that coincidentally there were visits by Enoch and Jack in his security uniform to a hotel in Villa. So again, all of this goes to substantiate and goes to solidify why in which Jack responded the way he did. The investigation, the lawyer said, found sheets and pillows at Enoch's workplace. Now, considering that Enoch is a professional who works in an office and, and works as a pastor and a bishop and has a home with his wife, stepson and nephew through marriage, why on earth would he bring bedsheets to his workplace? A workplace is a place of work. Considering that he has two jobs, one would assume, quite reasonably, that if he needs to take rest, it makes sense for him to do that in his home rather than in his place of employment. Because when you have two jobs, you're splitting your time between both professions. And therefore, if you want to take a time of rest, you would do that at home. Yes, it's his office and there's no crime in having a pillow and bed sheets. But we've got a question. For what purpose is he having a pillow and bed sheets? And according to the allegation made, on that first occasion, he raped Jack in his office. And it was conducive for him to do so because Jack's guard was down. Jack had come there expecting to be assisted and helped with employment. He said that Jack provided to the police the full chronology of his relationship with Enoch, including the arrangements that were made for Enoch to meet him at the Carib village in Agar, where he murdered the cleric. At the Carib village, Enoch was preparing to have sex with Jack for a third time that night. When Jack retrieved the cutlass he had hidden there beforehand and chopped Enoch across the head and face several times. The killer was motivated in his actions by feelings of self-loathing and blamed Enoch for having caused him to contract HIV and thought he had no other choice but to act as he did. Jack watched as Enoch took his last breath and then drove away. In the meantime, when at 1am Enoch had not returned home, his wife became worried, having failed in her efforts to reach him via his mobile phone. She and some neighbours set out to look for him and found his vehicle ransacked and abandoned. She reported this to the police. Some hours later, about 4.10am, police officers met Jack walking in the rain and questioned him. He said he was going to Georgetown, 15 miles away. Because of his responses, the police took Jack into custody and found a knife in his possession. About five hours later, Jack told police he'd killed Enoch by chopping him before pointing out the body. Connell says that Jack had left Enoch's body wrapped in sheets and other acriments that were the regular extras. At the entrance to the hut, the police recovered a concealed cutlass wrapped in plastic, which that Jack told them was a murder weapon. The post-mortem revealed Enoch had died of multiple chop wounds and was HIV positive. 
Jack's HIV test produced similar results. Before his encounter with Enoch, Jack at age 20, so he had just entered into his 20s, began engaging in consensual heterosexual relationships. One girlfriend was considerably older than Jack, but the relationship fell apart when he found out she was cheating and was only interested in his monetary support. As a result of this, Jack began experiencing depression and was being treated with Prozac, an antidepressant drug, which he was taking at the time of Enoch's murder. Jack's lawyer says his client's actions took a sudden twist after his first interaction with the bishop. The lawyer said Enoch had told his friend of his new acquisition and even invited a friend. It was not to Menange Atroa, but the friend did likewise to Anwar, adding to his emotional trauma. In other words, what it sounds like here is that there was an occasion when Jack was raped by a third party. And this added to his trauma because this is not non-consensual sex, not just with one man, but with two. The lawyer said that when Jack had, the lawyer said, Jack explained, Enoch has killed me already and he could not live with himself because of what Enoch had done. He found that he was HIV positive, which he considers to be a death sentence. Enoch was a bishop and Jack was a young guy. Enoch was preaching from a pulpit, but not living according to the laws of the Bible. There was a lot of hypocrisy. When you think about all the facts that have been shared here, the lawyer goes on to say, Anwar Jack is now to be sentenced. The deceased bishop, who he was supposed to have had a level of trust, he looked up to him, and Bishop Enoch was meant to pray for Jack, but instead he prays upon him. Jack is very remorseful about what he's done. He's sorry for the wife and child that are left behind. It's very, very difficult to consider what Jack was going through. His family members said they were unaware of his homosexual activity, but some community members said they suspected it. Jack was seen as hardworking and quiet. And people were shocked that he ran afoul of the law. In other words, Jack's countenance, his, his conduct and behavior perceived by others, they would never have anticipated that he would end up being convicted and charged of murder. In St. Vincent and the Grenadines, it is frowned upon to have a homosexual lifestyle. And when we think about it, Jack did not choose to be a homosexual. He did not choose to have these encounters. He changed his phone number. In other words, Jack made every attempt to remove himself from this situation by changing his phone number. And from what has been shared here, the bishop pursued him relentlessly for years. And Jack ended up being pursued to the point that he simply gave in. That is a really sad thing to happen to anybody, regardless of whether it's a homosexual or heterosexual relationship. You are forced into a relationship you do not want to have. You are forced into a lifestyle that you do not wish to engage in. And as a result of that, you contract HIV, you are raped and sodomized by another individual, and you end up taking matters into your own hands and committing murder. 
people who posted on my Facebook wall made remarks that he does not deserve that sentence. And in fact, Enoch deserves to have had his life taken away from him. I don't agree with it. In the Old Testament, we know the scripture says an eye for an eye, but according to the New Testament, it's about grace and forgiveness. It is really sad what happened to Jack. It really is, but two wrongs do not make a right. The knowledge of what has happened hopefully should enable people to, I don't want to say become suspicious, but to become more alert, to become more knowledgeable, and to become less naive to the fact that regardless of who a person may appear to be, regardless of how a person may behave, no matter how the person's conduct might give an impression that they are an upstanding member of the community, we need to scratch beneath the surface and we need to actually understand people are people and therefore no person is invincible, no person is 100% innocent, no person is 100% pure, let alone sin-free. And therefore, no matter how a person is portrayed, no matter what a person may appear to be on the outside, we really don't know what an individual gets up to behind closed doors. And therefore, we have to be very cautious as to our actions of the things that we say. Because just the innocent action of giving a phone number is going to lead to this interaction that was never harmless to begin with, but starts as a, a rape and homosexual encounters that ends up spiraling into murder and incarceration. So I say that to say, do not look at the outward appearance of a person. As the Bible says, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. By their fruits, you will know them. Let's forget about professions. Let's forget about appearance, car, house, business suit, clothing, accent, conduct. Let's forget about all of that and let's consider what is the heart of man. We know the heart of man is despitefully wicked, but let's consider the heart of a person to understand an individual so that we can protect future jacks, so we can make right decisions that do not end up having this domino knock-on effect where Jack is pursued into this lifestyle that he does not want to be in, contracts HIV and ends up murdering and being incarcerated when in fact all along Jack was indeed a victim. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education and when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another. And this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode.